boy, today was some stuff happened. Yeah, there was a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. Yeah, it wasn't overwhelming though. It was just like, oh, like, oh. Right. I feel like it was because it was a lot of stuff, but it, at this point, it all fits into things we already know about. You know. Yeah. And also at this point, like, I can't. I feel like I can't be surprised anymore. <laughs> like, everything's already so out there. I'm sure I'll be proven wrong, though. Um, no, I think there's there's kind of a, of a of a critical point at which you're just kind of like, oh, okay, this is happening now. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Hey, welcome hey. to the Hamsteak Podcast. Where we read it's... Homestuck and tell you about it. My name's Alex, and I've not read Homestuck before. My name's Lydia, and I sh- should probably stop saying that I super have, because I actually am getting into territory where I don't really remember very well. <laughs> but super have is a really good catchphrase. Mm. Fair. So this week we are reading pages 3700 through 3833, mm-hmm. which is the fake-out ending of Act 4. Mm-hmm. This is because, I, you know, it would have been really great if we went through the end, the actual end of Act 4, and I realize it kind of sucks to end you guys on a cliffhanger, but... I, I needed a logical stopping point, and <laughs> the actual space between where we last ended and the end of Act 4 would have yielded two very, very short episodes, so instead we're going here, and then I think the actual end of Act 4 is really complicated, and then there's, like, other stuff, and I think we, we'll we get there when we get there. Sorry this one's big, so big. <laughs> um, how did you like last week's episode? I so I didn't actually ever get around to listening to the recap itself, but I listened to the intro and yeah, I was incredibly charmed. <laughs> the recap wasn't important. It was the intro. That was the reason I made it. Oh. You just wanted to um talk to a cardboard version of me? Yeah. It was really funny. It was a really good bit. I think you should do that again. Thanks. Um for like if I have to miss an episode, I think that would be really entertaining. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Listeners, tell us what you thought. Yes. Hope to like it, and I'm sorry if you didn't. <laughs> um, so we start out this week with something big. A big flash. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're seeing is the battle between the black and white kingdoms. Right, on the, uh, the, the sky and battlefield, which is now like a whole planet populated by... These black and white pawn. Folks. Yeah, so this was interesting. Um, this is first we see the um, the chessboard that we first saw when John entered the medium. Um, I thought that was like at the, at the time. I thought that was like a a metaphor, like an interpretation, like oh, there's going to be chess yeah. elements. But no, that's literally what Sky looked like. I think you um, were meant to, to imagine that that it was just a visual metaphor, but it. Yeah. It's kind of cool to find out that it was literal. Yeah, so um, as we saw when John entered the medium and his uh, prototyped Colonel Sprite entered, uh, the chessboard got bigger and uh, a bunch of pieces spawned. Um, so that's what we saw like thousands of pages ago. Now we see what happened when uh, Rose and Dave entered the medium, which is that First, the chessboard turns into a chess cube, yep. and then a chess globe. 
um, which is like an entire planet that with like lakes and grass made out of a chess pattern. Mm-hmm. It's really cool looking. It is. Um, and this is where the black and white armies do battle, but there are also um, indigenous Carapace people, including WV. He's a farmer on this world, mm-hmm. and uh, when his crops are burned, he he kind of says enough, and he carries a red tattered flag into the battle, and uh, both sides stop fighting, uh, and he rallies them to advance on the castle where the White King is. Right. Uh, his title being in the past, so in the present, he's he's uh, the wayward vagabond, but. Here he is, um... The war-weary villain. Yeah. Which I think, um, villain is like a, an archaic word for peasant mm-hmm. kind of thing. Precisely. Um, yeah. And he's tired of the fighting, and so he stages a, uh, an uprising, and they, they confront the Black King, and just as they're about to, like, do battle with him, we see Jack, who now has wings, swoop overhead and catch sight of the Black King, and fly down and slash his scepter, which, like, depowers him, mm-hmm. and then decapitate the king. Yeah, um, and in this kerfuffle, the White King uh, loses his scepter, and it falls kind of... Into a waterfall. So what happens is, as this is going on with the Black King, um, PM is arriving on the battlefield, first of all, realizing she doesn't have the ring anymore, and then mm-hmm. approaching the White King and saying, hey, can I get your, your crown and your scepter? Like, I heard from the Queen that you would let me. And so she takes his scepter, and then um, Hart's Boxcars, or whoever, whatever his name is, back on Sky, right, right. Yeah. spots her and just socks her in the face. And she, the scepter goes flying, and the last time we see it is it falling over a waterfall. Right. And then we completely just cut away from that. We don't get to see how that gets resolved. Yeah, so that's, um, that's kind of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> a lot to think about. Um, so we actually come right back around to that in, like, the last conversation right. in this reading. But meantime, uh, Rose is hanging out. And doing another round of alchemy. Uh, yes. Um, she alchemizes a whole bunch of stuff. Um, mostly useless, I assume. Uh-huh. Uh, but the, um, the highlights, I guess, are she has these dark magic knitting needles. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a cool black and purple dress with a skull buckle. She has some, uh, wizard yarn. Uh, she has, she's combined her headband with uh, her laptop combined with the power source uh, thing. So it's like a lime green um, headband computer with a holographic eye display. Um, She combined vodka with the the magnetic W from her fridge. So now she has a W-shaped vodka bottle that's magnetic. Um, And she has pure black poison fruit gushers. Appropriate. Mm Mm-hmm. And she gave Casey, um, a, who's the salamander, who she called, what she call her again? Viceroy Bubbles Von Salamancer. There you go. Uh, she gives her a, uh, like a squid salamander plush. 
which she's very excited about. Casey's so excited about it. It's really cute. I love the way that the salamanders express emotion, which is to um, dance around with a huge bubble coming out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like every emotion that they have. That's how they express it. It's really cute. Uh, then Rose takes her needles and kills a bunch of monsters, and it looks really cool. She's really powerful now. Yeah. She has, like, fire coming out of the needles. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, uh, Jade Bot is building up Dave's house, um, which he does a pretty good job of, actually, considering well, it's, that... it's Jade, it's just that, like... Right. It, yeah. But so far we've seen, um, Dream Jade kind of being it a is. bit out of it. Yeah. Um, but she does a really good job uh, building up his house. Mm-hmm. Um, Meanwhile, and... her um, she has an audience, so there's some uh, <laughs> some white pawns watching her on Prospect. Yeah, uh, cute. so yeah, so I want to point out that one of the three pawns is a character that will actually be named and reappear um, much later, and okay. I, I had no idea that we saw her so soon. But that's nice, funny. yeah. If you're rereading, you'll recognize them on page 3719. <laughs> uh, and then after uh, Rose does her alchemy, uh, Dave does alchemy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's ridiculous. It's, it's a lot longer and a lot more joke items happen. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of like, look how like weird Dave's sense of humor is. Mm-hmm. Um, so he makes two tuxedos. Well, first he takes um, the tuxedo that Future Dave gave him and combines it with a like a felt red smuppet mm-hmm. to make like comfy pajama tux. Yeah. Um, and then he makes like a starchy black tux, and he's like, "I'll just have both of these and switch out as my mood dictates." Nice. Um, he makes a camera that can take a picture of any item and make a, like a ghost image capture log card of it. Right, so you can do alchemy with things that you can't necessarily pick up. Right, as long as you have a picture of it, you can get the code for it and then make one. Um, And then he also, he uses a Mr. T uh, smuppet to make a a fetal Mr. T in a jar. Um, And then he uses that to make a ghost image of his own brain in a jar. Uh, He can't make this yet. It costs like a billion grist. Um, but he now has the ability, theoretically, to make his own brain in a jar. Yeah. And then he uses that with the camera, plus um, a Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff image, to make a camera that prints out a Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff related to whatever it captures, um, which will save him the five minutes it takes to make a Sweet Bro and Hella Jeff panel. <laughs> we get a little one of Dave Sprite. Sorry? We get a little a little a little sweet bro and Helen Jeff that's like about Dave Sprite. Oh right, yeah. Sort of, because he takes yeah. a picture of Dave Sprite. <laughs> right. Um and then he also makes a couple of swords. Uh one of them is a sweet brown Helen Jeff sword that he can't even hold because it's like immaterial. Yeah, it's like so shitty and like Yeah. I mean it like it's it's made out of like uh MS paint, like uh spray spray paint tool. And like so, JPEG artifacts. Exactly. So it's like he can't hold it. Yeah. Um, and he makes, uh, there's a bunch of stuff that, um, sweet, or not sweet bro, uh, that Dave Sprite left for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes one of those, 
he uses the, he uses the sword that he left to make an, a better sword. Mm-hmm. Um, the sword has time powers. It does. Which I'm not sure where that came from. Um, you're gonna see him alchemize the sword, I think, later on. Okay, yeah. we're just meant to assume that uh, Dave, future Dave, um, alchemized it in the future, mm-hmm. and that it doesn't matter that it doesn't exist yet. Yeah, he has it now, so like he has it. Sure, it's all good. And it's the same with his uh, turntables that have time powers. Right. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and then he makes a bunch of other like weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also he makes copies of Rose's journals. Yeah. Because he's a big snoop. Yeah. Um, But they actually aren't full of uh, personal secrets. One of them is just filled with uh, meow genetic code, Mm -hmm. which he thinks is just uh, nonsense. And the other is filled with, like, uh, fiction that Rose is writing about wizards. Right, and it's in a loopy purple hand, and it is literally purple prose. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's very, just, like, I don't know, I find Andrew Hussey's writing really funny because he uses the, like, he uses incredibly big, unnecessarily flowery words for everything, but he uses them exactly right. Yeah. So it's like, it's like you didn't even really go through a thesaurus on this, like, you, like he just actually, it's, it's really funny. Um, I'm going to tell you what happens in The Complacency of the Learned, because I didn't realize until this read-through that it's actually foreshadowing. Please. So, did you even read it? Uh, I started. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insufferable. They make a joke later on about how Droog was, was reading it and uh, couldn't make it through more than a paragraph, and yeah. I felt that. But I started to realize, like, it might be important, so. Sure. So it's 12 wizards. Uh, they are The Complacency of the Learned. Those 12 wizards have taken on 12 disciples, like 12 children, to, like, teach magic to. Mm-hmm. And so they had foreshadowed that, like, they had they had foreseen that there would be a massacre. And so they're, they're at the site of this massacre, but they're like, oh, this isn't how we thought it would go. Like, we're pretty sure that one of our disciples, or more of them, like, instigated this massacre and not, not the, like, evil people that we thought it was. I mean, not the evil, evil people we thought were. Um... And uh, so now they're trying to figure out how they can hunt down their disciples, and that's where it leaves off. Okay. Um, so I assume that has something to do with the trolls. Yeah, I mean, I can't really comment on how it's foreshadowing, but... Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. It's, if you're familiar with, with the trolls and, and all the stuff that happens there... I'm just familiar with the fact that there's 12 of them. Right. So I picked up on that. Right. Uh and then Dave is like, I can't make it through this. I'll just, like, have to bookmark my place and try again later. Mm-hmm. Um, so he takes his juice stain beta copy. Uh, remember that from Act 1 or Act 2. Um, and he uses that as a bookmark for this uh, journal. And he leaves both journals with these beta copies on the uh, uprooted toilet lid that was in his room. And then he um, talks to Rose. Who he, he, he chats up Rose, who he can see, because he's her server player, and she happens to be burning the Meow book. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, why are you burning that book? And she says, oh, the, the gods of the furthest ring told me to. And he's like, what do you mean the gods of the furthest ring? And she's basically like, you know those horrifying like space mutants that like live in the void 
beyond Durst, like, way out in the furthest ring, which is what that void is called. Yeah, they're, they're basically, like, the old gods of, like, Lovecraftian whatever. And she's like, yeah, they spoke to me while I was sleeping, and they told me to do this, and if you turned your music down, you would hear them too. And he's pretty much like, yeah, but I super don't want to, because that's horrifying. Yeah. Um, he also, uh, slips out that he knows about the wizards, and she's like, oh, how do you know about my wizard fiction? And he's like, oh, uh, John snooped and told me about it when he was in your room. Um, but Rose doesn't seem to mind either way. Right. Which I guess is nice. Still doesn't, like, make up for the fact that they've breached her privacy. Right. But, but it's I nice guess... to know it's not a major transgression, at least. Yeah. Um, we should also point out that Dave, when Dave realizes that she genuinely likes wizards, mm-hmm. he calls her out on how ridiculous she's being about her relationship with her mom. Like, she's she's saying, like, oh, like, I don't like that my mother... I do like wizards. I don't like that my mom pretends to like them to, like, harass me. And mm. Dave is like, what are you? You're being ridiculous. You, yeah, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Right. Clearly, um, she's just trying to bond with you in a very parallel way to John's dad and the mm-hmm. Harlequins. Right. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um... So yeah, uh, meanwhile, um, Dave Sprite independently talks to Rose uh, and asks why she's burning the book. For real, because the explanation that she offers... Like, basically, he saw the explanation that she said to, like, present timeline Dave, but he's Mm -hmm. like, that was not the case in our timeline, so why is that the case now? Like, why do the old gods want you to destroy it now? And... He, uh, she, she tells him, apparently, you coming back in time was what instigated it. Like, that's why. That's what that, made it the timeline where this matters. Right. Um, and she does, uh, tell him that she remembers some things from the future. Um, remember that her, uh, her dream self kind of, uh, absorbed the remnants of the self that was destroyed with mm-hmm. the timeline. Um... And she says, uh, the old gods have never been wrong about stuff like this, so I'm just going to trust them. Uh, But he doesn't trust gross space mutants, as he calls them. No, they're really horrific looking. They're actually, (laughs) if you remember, it's been a while since we've seen, like, a Problem Sleuth reference, but there's, like, sort of eldritch gods in in Problem Sleuth, and uh, these are kind of a a riff on them. They're really gross looking. Okay. Um, Then... We, so, okay, so, after that conversation with Rose, Dave is like, alright, I want to go confer with Dave Sprite about this, and I guess I want to talk to him face-to-face, so he goes up to the roof where Dave Sprite is, and they talk, and as soon as he's vacated his room, Diamonds Drew, or whatever his, uh, you know, Durst name yeah. is. Yeah, Dee. Yeah, so he slips in the window, and, uh, and later we find out that he's made off with Rose's journals. And the the beta copies. And the beta copies, right. Um, and so meanwhile, Dave and Dave Sprite have a super brief conversation where they basically agree that, um, yeah, it's probably a bad idea to have this world-ending genetic code. It seems, yeah. seems bad. So Dave's like, oh, I should probably, I guess I'll just go downstairs and burn that. But then it's gone. <laughs> um, not only is it gone, he also, he thinks, oh, maybe I'll just go back in time and stop this uh, thief. 
Uh, then he looks a bit to the left, and there's a uh, corpse of himself on the floor. And he's like, oh, I guess I already tried that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, well, I don't want to see the Dave corpses start to pile up, especially if one of them ends up being me. Uh, which is like, it just like chilled me to the bone. Yeah, it's that, really chilling. That, that uh, foreshadowing that there's going to be a lot of Dave corpses piling up. Um, and also that uh, he doesn't quite understand or he's in denial about like the nature of like these are him. Like, like the thing with like timeline, like time travel and like alternate selves is you think like, oh, like these aren't really me. But they are, like... Yeah. And it's... Yeah. And I think he's just not processing that, because how could you, and because it's Dave. Right. Yeah. Um, and he is a child. And he's a child! He's a 13-year-old kid! I was mm. just... I just was at a, a family party where there was a 13-year-old kid, and I was like, oh my god. Were you, like, taking notes comparing them to these characters? <laughs> um, not exactly. But it was, like, it's really interesting, actually, to to, like, notice, like... Yeah, like, it's been a while since I've spent spent much time around teens that age, and it's, like, it was really interesting, because there's a lot of stuff that he can, like, he's really knowledgeable about. Like, he, they, the family has a boat, and so he, like, knew all these, like, knots and, like, all of the, like, hitching that you had to do to, like, tie up the boat properly, and I was like, I have no idea, I would have no idea how to do all of this, and it would take me forever to, to like, teach me. Um, but then at the same time, he, like, couldn't handle something like, we can't drive you to the boardwalk. Like, mm-hmm. the, the the adults are having social time now, we, and we can't drive you to the boardwalk tonight. And he just, like, couldn't couldn't wrap his head around that. Yeah. And that, you know, maybe he could go tomorrow or whatever. So it's like, oh, man, kids are fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Um, so Droog has already left with the books of interest, and mm-hmm. there's a Dave corpse. And, yeah, it's super chilling, because you don't expect to see it at all. It's like you see one one like, framing of the room, and then the next panel is just the, the the camera frame has moved, and all of a sudden there's, like, a like a bloody dead Dave in the corner yeah. in exactly the same outfit, and it's, like, ugh. Right, it's, it's clearly, like, the, like, minutes later Dave. Yeah, and Dave just casually tosses his own corpse off the building, like... Yeah, into ugh. the lava. Yeah, um... Did I mention this is a dark comic? <laughs> Like, it gets violent. Yeah. Um, that's that's all we see for Dave for a while. We uh, we go back to John, who's uh, hanging out in a lab in the Vale. Yeah, so he remember he has one of these uh, four-screen consoles. Um, and one of the screens is locked onto his, uh, his neighborhood back on Earth. Except it's in the past, and there's a big red Betty Crocker factory... That he's never seen. Right. In fact, it's uh, December 1st, 1995, uh, which you might notice is Jade's birthday. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so it's Jade's birthday, and uh, a meteor hits the factory and destroys it. And we also learn that uh, Grandpa Harley owns the uh, the corporation. Right. Um, we see that... Uh... Nana and Dad Egbert are out on a walk right beside the factory when it explodes. Or when it's hit by a meteor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, John 
like so the uh, the console is actually locked on to Nana, and um, John hits a button after this happens and uh, creates a paradox ghost imprint of Nana, which is the like the green slime in her shape that immediately falls to the floor, um, and then it's sucked into a glass tube. Right, and then we so we we're about to rinse and repeat this process on the three other guardians. So. Uh, right. First, first we go to the fourth monitor, and there is Grandpa Harley. Two days after that meteor impact, with Baby Jade holding the patched up bunny mm-hmm. on uh, on a yacht. Oh, and you notice that um, Beck is there as well. Beck is yeah. So they're at the island where they live, but they haven't uh, settled it yet. Mm-hmm. So it's like untouched. Um, and we see Beck up on the hill. Mm-hmm. Oh, the yacht is named Jade? I didn't even see that. The yacht is named Jade, and it's got her little atomic symbol. And uh, they make it clear that uh, Grandpa Harley adopted Jade, like, after the meteor impact. Right. So um, we see another meteor heading towards the U.S., uh, and John creates a ghost imprint of Grandpa, Mm -hmm. which which is also collected. Right, then we follow the meteor to where it impacts the U.S., which is down in, in well, down in the southwest U.S. And I, thought they, I thought they established it was Texas in, like, Act 1. I think so, maybe. Um, it is, yeah. It's Texas. Uh, and um, so the meteor destroys, we see Bro, and it destroys his favorite record shop. And uh, he's got a pair of tiny baby shades for... Yeah, so he's wearing his, like, his Squirtle Squad uh, triangle shades, and he is holding, like, a little pair of them as well. Yeah. Um, my question is, how old is Bro? Because he looks like a teenager in 1995. <sighs> so, I mean, I guess I guess it's established that, um, in this reading that their ages aren't exactly normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it just surprised me that Dave is, or that Bro is, like, at least 30, maybe? Yeah, you could say he's probably in his third because you know, let's say let's say he's seventeen when he's finding the uh, yeah when he's finding Dave, and now so now he's about thirty, which or he is could be older. Yeah, which is strange because he acts like a a twenty year old. Yeah, but I mean, like, don't act like you don't know, or at least know of dudes who persist in living like gross bachelors well into their fifties. Right, that's fair. So yeah. Yeah, you're not meant to know, really, how old any of these characters are, but particularly Bro, it's really confusing. And um, I've seen, when I used to read, like, Homestuck fan works, um, people would pitch him as anywhere from, like, they, w- they would hypothesize either that he was really young when he found Dave and, and say, like, oh, now he's only in, like, his, his 20s, or they'd, they'd, they'd imagine that he was, in fact, quite old and, like, in his 50s now, and, like, <laughs> it was really weird that he was, like, that way, or that there was some kind of weird... Um, kind like of... He, like he stopped aging when he found Dave? Yeah, because if you look at... Like, none of the sprites of any of the Guardians actually change between when they find... Uh, the... no, that's not true. The Grandpa looks way younger. Does he? Yeah, he has, like, a... Like, his hair is still black, I think. Or it's, like, gray. Oh, okay. Well, but none of the other ones change. And, uh... Yeah, so they right. seem well, kind of ageless. Right. Um... So it's like, oh, maybe he didn't age at all, and everyone thinks that's kind of weird. Ugh. Yeah, you're not supposed to know. I guess, I guess, like the uh, the um, grandpa's mustache is the only like visible marker of age that any of them have, because mm-hmm. they have featureless faces as adults. Right. Um. So yeah. So uh, there's Bro Sludge, 
And then we see the final meteor, uh, which is heading towards Rose's house, or, yeah, Rose's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will, we're told it will kill all the aquatic life in the lake it lands in. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just like the dead oceans of Lothar. Right. Um, and so we just happen to see that meteor go overhead, but meanwhile, John is making a, like a, par- uh, a, a, a ghost slime paradox imprint of, uh, bro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then John goes back to the monitor that shows his neighborhood. And this is a little later now. Rose's mom, this is a couple days after that impact. Mm-hmm. She has been summoned to the West coast by grandpa Harley to, study the meteor impacts while Grandpa Harley is off adventuring. Right. And so she's over on the West Coast. She's apparently a new mother, so she's carrying baby Rose. And John's dad happens to be in the Prankster's Gambit, which is a a store that she's sort of approaching on foot. And he sees her, and he goes to step outside to say hello to her. And as he does so, a meteor strikes the store. Which grandma, uh, which Nana is inside yeah. of, killing her. Yes. Um, which uh, makes me question how he uh, separated out her ashes. Yeah! <laughs> it's okay. But, well, maybe she was, like, crushed in the impact and then she had to be cremated. Sure. You know. Yeah. Um, and then we, uh, we see the text, An old mother lost today, but a new son gained. Yeah, um, but that, John is in the media, in the media. Right. At this point, I hadn't pieced that together. Really? I didn't... Well, I didn't see the babies in the craters. Um, they weren't... They're, I think that they show that later. They do. It's so obvious, though. I, it wasn't obvious to me. Okay. Well, like, I, because... I was, like, I, was like, I was like, where is John? Where did John come from? Where is the mother? Well, so, because, like... A, so, okay, yeah. so we see the impact, and then... We see the impact behind John's dad and Nana... And then, like, two days later, we see... Okay, we, so we hear that it belongs to a billionaire explorer. And then two days later, we see Grandpa Harley with a new baby girl saying, oh, two days prior, like, a factory lost, but a new a new daughter gained. Okay. How did you think that happened? Uh, I guess I must have uh, skimmed that. Yeah, or, like, then when Bro... Like, when the meteor impacts in front of Bro, why does he whip out baby shades? I mean, I didn't know. I was just kind of going along with this. It's, ah! It wasn't, it wasn't clear to me okay. what was happening. All right. I was, I was just like, oh, okay, these meteors are impacting uh, near our friends. Yeah, I guess if you, like, you... The thing with Homestuck is a lot of times they'll clear stuff up for you later on, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm surprised now by how much you could actually be figuring out along the way, if you just are very carefully piecing things together. Um, Which, I mean, I think it's a bit, like, you, you, you can't, um, you can't not know these things, so it's hard for you to, like, understand where, like, when or, and where I should be picking up on things. I guess, yeah. Well, and also, maybe I'm just not, like, as close a reader as you. Yeah. Because I, I've been missing out on things that you seem to think are obvious. Which, I mean, that's not... Like, I don't think you're being, like, condescending to me or anything. I just mean, like, I'm not... I'm not reading the same way as you. 
Yeah, I'm very much reading this as, like, it's it's important to me that at least on this path, because normally I just read as, like, I don't know what's going on, and I'll find out later. Like, I don't normally consume media in this way, but the way yeah. that I'm consuming it right now is, like, let me make sure that I can explain all of the details and their implications later. So it's, like, a right, super exactly. close reading. I'm, like, I'm reading the wiki sometimes as I go through and, like, going back to my old notes and, like, explaining it to myself before I, like, try and put anything down. For sure. So, yeah, I guess it is a, a really close reading. But, like, there's lots of people who, like, consume all their media that way. And, like, that seems exhausting, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I see why it's fun. Like, I enjoy doing it. But, like, for all of it, like, wow. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so the meteor destroys John's father's and Nana's shop. And... Mm-hmm. We see John's dad at the scene picking up Rose's mom's pink scarf. Uh-huh. And she has fled the scene, and her, his dad is uh, interested in this mystery now of these meteors and the, the mysterious lady. Right. Um, and then John brings a final uh, Paradox clone imprint, mm-hmm. ghost imprint, uh, which is the mom. Right. And- and now that these four glass uh, containers are filled with goop, uh, a sequence starts. Right, which uh, creates... Well, okay, first of all, the way that he gets the ghost imprint of Rosa's mom is that the console itself is still locked on to mom, so it follows her right. to where she's off the scene. And we see, we actually see Baby Rose for the first time, and she's got the patch... Excuse me, she's got the very burnt-up bunny before right. it gets repaired, so, like, that's why she's had it all this time. We don't know where she got it from yet. And, um, so yeah, then the sequence starts, and out of the machine pop these four baby versions of the kids' parents. Yeah. Slash uh, Yeah. So they look a lot like the kids, especially because we've seen the, the baby sprites before, mm-hmm. of, all the, of all four kids. Right. Um, which, I mean, the, the way that the babies are drawn. It's so adorable. Yeah. <laughs> they have such little, like, big eyes and... Yeah. Um, no arms and little nubby feet. <laughs> They're very yeah. cute. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's four, these four guardian baby clones. So they're called uh, Paradox clone babies. Right. Um, and then, uh, Dr. Meowgon slash Vodka Mutini pushes the final button on the console. And the um, sludges are combined. Um, and well, so four... so um, Dad and Grandpa Harley's sludges are combined, and then uh, Mom and Bro's sludges are combined separately. Uh, That's important. Uh, is that like okay? So that's like um. The DNA being recombined. Yep. So that's that means that um, Nana and Grandpa are the biological parents of uh, of John and Jade. Correct. Because and, okay, yeah. So what what happens as a result of this is the baby versions of the kids themselves pop out, right. and so yeah. So then then um, Grandpa and Nana are the biological parents, actually not grandparents of. John right. and Jade, and so John and Jade are siblings, and then Bro and Mom are technically the biological parents of, um, Ro- of, uh, Rose and Dave, so they're siblings. Right, right. 
but also they're all, all eight of them are babies right now. Right. Um, and yeah, they're, they're all, yeah, everyone's babies. There's literally just eight babies sitting, sitting on what looks like a giant, like a purifier pad Mm -hmm. on the floor. And John's just like, what? Yeah. And this causes John to level up into an ectophile, a babysitter. Yes. And and like on his extra ladder screen, there's just like him covered in eight babies climbing all over him. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Um, He earns a bunch of boon dollars in the process, crushing his poor hollow. Yeah. And he, he claims that this is all going towards these babies' college funds. Yeah. Um, then we cut out to the Vale, where Grandpa Harley is taking care of some business before he goes back to Earth, dies, and is stuffed. Yeah, so... I still don't remember how he got here. Right. So, uh, well, I don't think we know yet. Yeah. So, is this is this the version of him that, Jay, that John saw in the woods? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so he's flying a ship through the veil, carrying some passengers, and then we see the passengers who are John's dad and Rose's mom. Right. Um, and dad has the scarf and returns it to her. Mm-hmm. And they uh, turn towards Skaya and hold hands on this, um, looks like kind of like a, like a big military ship, mm-hmm. but with like like, uh, spaceship tubes underneath, like, propelling it. Yeah. Um, oh, I did also want to point out that, so, I think we said a while ago that we saw these parents fighting really big monsters. They were mm-hmm. not actually the den that somebody corrected me on face, on, uh, Twitter. Okay. And, wait. Okay. So, the correction was from Evan, at Heavenly Evan. Thanks, Evan. For pointing out that the, the things the Guardians were fighting aren't denizens, they're just big monsters. Okay, yeah, that's a really good uh, thing to clear up. True. Because the denizens are important later. So yeah. They are still in, in the game. Which means that um, if John had uh, rocketed up to the denizen, he still would have died. Yep. Correct. Which, yeah, I was a bit confused about that. Um, so thank you very much, Heavenly Evan. Mm-hmm. Um, then... Uh, CG trolls John, and they have a long talk. And CG is carcinogeneticist. Right. Okay. He's the first troll we saw. Shouty Gray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he trolls John, and he... So the first thing I picked up on here is that he mentions that the end of uh, the kids' play session... Mm-hmm which is where he started talking to John, because he's the one talking to John in reverse order. Mm-hmm. Um, the end is where something called the rift happens. Yes. Which sounds ominous. Yes, it does. He also, um, he clears up for me that these babies uh, that appeared, they aren't just copies. They are literally the babies that are sent to points on Earth's timeline that grow up to be the characters that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, he also points out that this is going to be what's called a null session, which is where the players completely fail at their objectives and they get wiped out and the insiposphere is left empty. Right, and he says it's strange that Paradox Space went to all this trouble just to have you fail and die. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. It seems like Paradox Space has a consciousness. 
In a way, yeah. It's there are there's certain like prerogatives. Um Right. Which I guess I can see, okay, this is one of the things where once you once you I understand what those prerogatives are and once you do, it's really obvious. <laughs> right. I mean yeah, I still I still don't actually know what paradox space is. It just seems to be this like this force uh that is manipulating the kids destinies or something. It's sort of like the omniverse, like it's, you know, it's the kids universe and the trolls universe and the insipospheres associated with them. And so it's okay, it's like the, it's the overarching like material of everything. Mhm. All these different universes. Right. Okay. And uh and there's certain prerogatives that it's got. Um sure. you can think of more as just sort of like almost laws of physics. Or, like, maybe, like, biological prerogatives than, um, than any kind of, like, sentient objective. Right. Um, so yeah, so CG tells John this. He also said, he also mentions that he was the one who made the, uh, Paradox clones in his session. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that was a whole ordeal, because there are, there, that would be 24 babies. Yeah. Yes, and their troll reproduction, all we hear about it so far is the troll reproduction is very complicated. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wait, wait until we get there, folks. Because, yeah, oh yeah, I guess because, like, this was pretty simple, like, just two pairs of parents. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it's a lot more, uh, we'll get there. <laughs> okay. We'll get there rather soon, actually. Um, <laughs> some gems from this conversation... Uh, include, it's gonna be like that human vacation with the giant red chimney asshole up in here. You know, the one where a bunch of moany nook suckers sing at a little pine tree, I think. (laughs) And then, like, one of his best, like, burns, I feel like, is great guess, brain hero. (laughs) Oh. Um, yeah, so then we see the babies, um, yeah, glomming is a good word, onto these objects that, uh, the Guardians brought to the lab, the adult guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Nana Baby likes the hat that, uh, it's the, like, the oil-covered old hat that Dad had. Mm-hmm. Um, Baby John likes the Satiker book. Um, Bro likes the Cal, which is here. Grandpa likes the pistols. Um, and Dave likes the pony. Mm-hmm. And we don't see all of them just yet. Yeah. But meanwhile, um, we get CG trolling John again. So John has, has managed to get CG to troll him, like, m- moving forward in both of their timelines for once. Yeah. So they can have, like, forward-moving conversations. And um, CG informs him that uh, what we, what, or at least what I kind of thought you were supposed to pick up on already, which is that um, the babies do, in fact, get to Earth by, like, being sent on meteors during the Reckoning, through through the portals in Skya and to Earth. Okay. Yeah. Which, which we, I think, I'm not sure it has been explicitly spelled out just yet, but it was, like, very, very strongly um, hinted to the point where, like, I think you were meant to infer it, so we've talked about it before, how... Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I, I picked up on that, I think. Right, so it's, to, to, to refresh you, so during the Reckoning... The way it had been introduced so far is that's when Skya is assaulted by meteors and it sets up portals to absorb them for a while and we're not told where the portals go, but at the same time we see meteors flying down to Earth 
out of what looks like the mirror image of those portals. So it's pretty obvious. So right. it's 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 redirecting this meteor assault, which ultimately will destroy the battlefield and, and the session, uh, and instead it redirects them to the original, like the planet from which the game players originated. Right. There's also another really good burn, which is, where is your lab coat and test tubes, Dr. Brain Professor? Mm. Which is funny, because uh, John's already wearing his lab coat. And he says as much. He says, I kind of am wearing a lab coat. Yeah. Then uh, that makes that makes CG uh, go on a long tangent telling him he looks like an elf. <laughs> and he's like, and John's like, oh, do you trolls have elves too? And CG's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's waste time uh, talking about different mythical characters from our respective realities that don't exist. Um, then we cut away from there, and somewhere else in the veil, AR is the authority regulator, mm-hmm. uh, is hoverboarding around, and he spots the, the frog ruins before they're ruins. They're just, you know, a, a set of buildings. Right. And he declares that these are illegal, um, which is funny because he's in the veil and he did illegal kickflips because it doesn't, there's no law out here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but his overriding prerogative is still to declare things illegal. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he heads into the ruins and takes the elevator down and there's a monitor displaying baby Nana in a fancy house on April 21st, 1910. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we see that the house belongs to Colonel Sassaker, Mm -hmm. who's adopted her from a meteor that destroyed the bakery his wife Betty Crocker owns. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's all connected. Right. That was really what this uh, reading drove home for me. Mm-hmm. That literally no, like, piece of information in this comic is coincidental. Like, every element of just the jokes is, like, for a reason. Yeah. Pretty much. Even if it's not planned originally to be significant later on. Right, yeah. He will sure. make it have been, you know, planned all yeah. along that way. <laughs> Which is kind of like a metatextual um, paradox space consciousness. Yeah, pretty something. much. Um, yeah, but, uh, so they're in this house, uh, Nana and, baby Nana and Colonel Sassaker, and then there's another meteor crash uh, in the backyard. Um, uh, and what does Colonel Sassaker say in response to this surprising event? Land sakes alive, we are cooking with petrol now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, this meteor destroys uh, his dog, Hallie's kennel. And he's like, um, oh no, what if Hallie was in there? And he takes a swig from his julep flask. Mm-hmm. Um, Only to be then, promptly shot by a baby. Yes. Uh, there's baby grandpa sitting in the crater with pistols, mm-hmm. uh, killing... Killing Colonel Sassaker. Um, and then Nana Sprite's like, an old father lost a baby brother gained or something. Yep. And then um, for a second I was like, wait, so they're raised by the dog? But no. Yeah, so um, so there's this, there's a dog, Hallie, which uh, looks like Cal, or not Cal, sorry, uh, Becquerel, mm-hmm. except it has a face. Right. And it's really cute. Um, and yeah, I was confused because it looked like it, they were going to be raised by this dog. Who's just a regular dog. Um, also, apparently, baby grandpa can't say Hallie, so he's, he calls it Harley. Mm-hmm. And then I guess he adopts that name for himself. Uh, we will hear more about that later on. 
Okay. So the kids are raised, Grandpa and Nana, we, we don't get their first names, are raised by Betty Crocker, who is apparently the wicked the wicked pastry baroness. They don't like her very much. And <laughs> yeah. uh, Grandpa runs off with, with Hallie to go on 13. adventures at age 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how um, Nana got the name Egbert, but I'll just call her that for now. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, um, so, uh, yeah, so AR is, is watching all this on the monitor in the Frog Ruin, or not Ruins, the Frog Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Diamond Stroog, or whatever he's called, is here. Uh, and he's here, I'm not sure exactly why he's here, actually. Um, guess, yeah, we don't know that yet. Because I, cause I thought he was going to be here to, like, in order to put the beta copies in the time capsule. Um, but actually, he doesn't care about those. Uh, he's he's here for the code right. in the book, which makes sense. He just tosses the envelopes, uh, and they happen to land in the capsule, and uh, to be opened in billions of years on Earth. Hundreds of millions. By, I think, Jade, right? That's how she gets her... Yeah, exactly. Copies, so, and I, I guess in that time they um they they dried out and the juice that was on them went away. I yes, I mean they, they, there's juice on them once she gets them. Oh, okay. They just they still. I mean they're CDs. Like he just wipes the juice off. I guess. Um. But so yeah. So my I'm what I think is that he's in the veil at all because uh, so it's a genetic code and we know that there are ectobiological facilities oh, here. Right. Right. So. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure that's that makes what's sense. going on. Um, then we look back to John, who's getting trolled by CG again, still working linearly. So this has all been one kind of long conversation. Mm-hmm. And this time, CG lets him know that. So okay, so if we remember how the kids reckoning, the whole reason their session is doomed is because their their reckoning starts way too early, and they're not powerful enough to beat the bosses like you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And um, John is like, okay, like we know that, but like, why, like, what makes that happen in the first place? Why does our reckoning start so soon? And CG just says Jack Noir. Yep. And then then they pick up the conversation on the next page, but it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool cliffhanger between pages. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, so remember back at the beginning of this reading um, when we saw Jack Noir uh, usurp the uh, Black Throne. Right, because that's true, because he has already taken, I had completely forgotten that, but that's why he's all prototyped out, is because he, he took the the Black Queen's ring. Did he kill her as well? Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah, so he's he's taken out the Black Queen, taken on her prototyping, and then uh, we already know that he, like we just saw at the beginning today, that he has taken out and stolen the scepter, or, or like destroyed the scepter of the Black King, so he is now mm-hmm. taken over. Yeah, he, yeah. Um, and so John's like, well, wouldn't he do that? Wouldn't he do that in your session too? Um, and CG is like, no, they're like, they're, it's the same person. Actually in our session, he was kind of an ally, even though he's a jerk. Uh, and he got exiled to our planet, um, which is where we met him before as uh, Spade Slick. Right. So yeah, to be clear, I think I, I mentioned I had to be vague about it before, but yeah. So the planet where we see the felt and right. the midnight crew is all—it's the trolls' planet. Yeah. Oh yeah, I knew I knew that. Like I picked up on that right away. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's well. As, as soon as um, Space like saw like um, CG on the monitor, 
Right. Okay, that's true. That does make it pretty clear. But yeah, so yeah. they've got the uh, they've got a pink moon and a green moon and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just like I thought it was kind of cute, like the um comparison mm-hmm. that like um CG's like what's like a what's a video game you play on Earth? And John's like uh Crash Bandicoot. And CG's like uh, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to assume it's a lame example. <laughs> Which is really funny. Um, actually, I was just thinking about Crash Bandicoot. Um, it's really endearing um, because this like brand new game, uh, fall- or not Fallout Four, uh, Uncharted Four came out, mm-hmm. um, which is like made by the company that originally made Crash Bandicoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a little Easter egg where you play as like you as the character in the game. You play. Uh, you play Crash Bandicoot, mm-hmm. and the character's like, this is so old and dumb. And then his wife's like, no, you have to jump over this. <laughs> and that was like a... Like, I haven't played that game, and I don't have a PS4, but that's like a really cute scene that I watched on YouTube. Oh. Yeah. That is clever. So I have like some good Crash Bandicoot feels right now. Oh. I don't know what a Crash Bandicoot is. It's the, like, the orange Tasmanian devil. Oh, Okay. That's, like, from the PS1, so he's, like, made out of triangles. No, that's all I know about Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. Well, I guess he's a Bandicoot, not a Tasmanian Devil. But, like, what, he... What's a Bandicoot? I think it is. I think it's a marsupial of some kind. Okay. A- um, anyway. Yeah, sorry. So, uh, so the end of that conversation is that John is trying to ask CG... All right, so... Okay, so John... Uh, Jack rises to power... What instigates that? Like, why is it, why does our Jack behave so differently from your Jack? And CG mm-hmm. won't tell him because he's like, I already told you. Right. In the in CG's past, John's future. In John's future. Right. Um, and I kind of tried to, uh, like, work back what it was. Um, and it seems to be that... Because Jack had a, has a weapon, right? That was able to kill the Black Queen. Uh, yes. Um, and he got that, he had that when, uh, PM was there. Right. Did he have it before PM was there? No, he, it was what, and it's made explicit. The weapon is the package that PM was tracking down. It was, the weapon is Jade's birthday gift to John, which ended up. Right. In the car that PM. In the car, which then PM. Saw AR. Take the package, and then he brought it to Jack, and then PM came to get it, but she couldn't, and then the White Queen confronted Jack in his office where the package was, and so Jack reached in the package and used whatever was in there to take her out. Now he's got whatever was in there. I'm pretty sure I can tell you that there's something else that's going to happen as well. Okay. That um, will tip some scales, but I'm not positive. Okay, but this is like the inciting incident, is that... Is Jade's package? Um, um, maybe it's one of the inciting incidents. Yeah, I don't it's remember one of the inciting. One. It's one of the inciting factors. Yeah, for sure, it's a major one. Okay, because if you remember the the big deal that CG makes about it later on. So then we have um, then we have a goofy moment where John is like, uh, these babies are like bothering him a lot, and he's trying to like like pacify them, and so he starts giving them the bunnies that he's got. He's carrying around, like, two or three bunnies, I think, at this point. 
Yeah, but he does it uh, <laughs> as as the final as the scene from Con Air that we watched a couple episodes ago. Uh, it's really cute. <laughs> um, and is this like a like an original recording of the song? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. Um, yeah, it's like a really funny original recording. Like they're, they're good musicians, but it's like very very like lo-fi production. And then like there's a um, it's all done very like sort of facetiously. And then like. Yeah, at the end, there's, um, like, Take It Away, Harley, on the guitar solo, and we see what I assume is, like, young grandpa with, like, long black hair and ripped jeans. No, that's John. Uh, that's meant to be oh, okay. uh, John as Nick Cage from Con Air. Oh, okay. I thought it, I thought it said Harley, but maybe it didn't. Oh, well, I think he, he means that Harley is, is, like, actually playing the guitar or something. Like, he's just being funny. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I thought, because it looked like, um, <laughs> what it looked like was Young Greg Universe. Yeah, it does. And I thought, like, that uh, Grandpa would go through, like, a musician phase when he ran away. (laughs) Um, But it's just, like, John imagining himself like that, I guess. No. Um, And I guess the main reason why I I know that is because... Well, so it's it's John's hair, not young Grandpa's hair. But also I know it's actually been really hard for me because I know what young Grandpa's name is. We just haven't been told yet and won't be for a very long time. Oh, I thought they didn't even have names. They do. Then they, I mean, they have first names. They just you don't learn them for okay. A well, long I appreciate. Time. <laughs> I appreciate all the names that you haven't told me. <laughs> there's because, so you... many of them. There's so many named characters, and there's caught in this comic, and we've met so few of them. Well, we've met so many of them, and don't and I don't know their names, and we haven't named them yet. Yeah, it's there's going to be starting starting in Act Five. There's going to be an incredible proliferation of names. Right, because we're gonna meet the trolls properly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. um, and that's the uh, that's the end of Act Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, except Psych, it's not. Yep, Psych, it's a few more pages. Mm-hmm. And is is it like just a few? Oh, okay. So there's gonna be. I guess this isn't a huge spoiler. There's gonna be another recap after the end of Act Four, and I do want to recap that recap because a lot of stuff has gone down, or at least give us the opportunity to recap it. So there are not very many pages before the end of Act 4. That's going to be, um, that's going to be another 54 pages. And then the following we're going to pick up Act 5. Uh, or what we might end up doing, depending on how that reading shakes out, is skip the recap if it turns out to be super redundant, and just start Act 5 next week. So you'll have to find out. Next time on Hamstake Podcast. So we're going to do listener questions. If you have a question that you want to ask us, you can send us an ask on Tumblr. We are hamstakepodcast.tumblr.com. You can give us a mention on Twitter. We are at hamstakepodcast on Twitter. If you want to ask something but think it might be a spoiler, you can reach out to me via like a private message on Tumblr or Twitter. I am Brickchip, both of those places. Yeah, and that was actually really, uh, really useful this week. How so? Um, there was like a, there was an actual spoiler, uh, not question, but um, clarification. Correction, yeah. Yeah. Um, so our question this week comes from uh, Trinity Codex on Twitter, who asks, "From one to ten, how social justicey are you, and are there SJW opinions you don't agree with?" Um, I mean, like, let's answer this, I guess, but I mean, like, how, man, like... I'm, I, I'm surprised that you've made it this far in 
listening to us and still don't have a clear answer to this. Where did you find this podcast? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, I, uh, so there's no such thing as an SJW opinion, um, because, uh, SJWs don't exist and also aren't a, uh, an entity with a hive mind. Um, there are people who believe in social justice who have their own opinions. Um, very often they disagree with each other. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, I don't even know what would be considered a social justice opinion that isn't like, I believe that this group of people deserves human rights. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're talking about like, um, people like, uh, calling out people or boycotting things because someone in it said something that they don't like. Um, I don't necessarily want to do those things, but that is someone else's, like, it's someone else's right to be upset about things. Right. Um, if there, if this, if the SJW opinion is, I want to kill this person who said something I hate, uh, then no, I don't agree with that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, I mean, if you didn't pick up on it by now, like, we're very politically progressive, I guess. Um, but there's yeah. obviously problems in, quote, in capital D, the discourse, particularly on Tumblr.com, where a lot of people participating in the discourse are teens who just don't, have been shouting in an echo chamber and, and like, don't, don't ever have the proper context to realize that the things that they're saying are still really super harmful, even if they're motivated by ideology that they agree with. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think if, if you're worried about social justice warriors as a group, um, then your worries are not directed where they should be. Right. Um, there, there's, there's definitely people who are in the group that you're criticizing who deserve to be criticized. Um, but that's as individuals, not as a class of people. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess from one to 10, we're like 11. <laughs> we're negative nine, 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 nine. We're six, six, six. Yeah. Illuminati, social justice, feminist Illuminati confirmed. Confirmed. Uh, okay, that's our episode title. <laughs> what? So, so, feminist, Ilu feminist Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> Watch us see like an incredible uptick in um, <laughs> downloads or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a good answer to that question. All right. Um, also, I, I want to say like thank you for lis listening, and like I'm glad that we have people with lots of different uh, backgrounds and opinions mm -hmm. who listen to us. Um, I, I'm not, like, telling you to leave or anything, uh, but I'm not, I'm just not sure, like, how, how you got here <laughs> and how you got, how you got this far. Like, you've been, you've been listening to, for, to us for a long time. I don't understand how you've gotten this far without having an answer to this question. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you're welcome but, to stick around. Yeah, that was not a hostile question at all. It was just an interesting... Uh, yeah, an interesting point of view. Yeah. Um, also, please don't, um, like, continue on this conversation with us. 
Yeah. That's... I don't want I don't want to discuss this further. Sorry. Yeah. Um thank you all for listening mm-hmm. to the Hamsteak Podcast. Um you can find me at uh Crunchleaf on Twitter and Leaf Crunch on Tumblr. I'm still Brick Chip on t- Tumblr and Twitter, as I've said. Yes. Um and we already told you we haven't quite figured out what we're reading for next week, but it'll be the end of Act 4 and something else. Yep, plus some more stuff. So Yeah. So, uh, thanks. Thanks, you guys! Bye. Love you. Aww!